Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith coming to you this week from Colorado Springs. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Warren and I bring you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, all designed to help us become better stewards of the resources God has entrusted to us. On today's program, an Alabama pastor is under fire for liking a couple of posts on Twitter. Now, the city of Birmingham is canceling contracts with his church. Also on today's program, Moody Bible Institute apologized for yearbook photos from the 1970s and the 1980s that portray students in blackface. And at least 30 private schools, including some Christian schools, will close permanently because of the COVID crisis. We begin today with a landmark ruling of the Supreme Court. The High Court ruled on Monday that the word sex in the 1964 Civil Rights Act applies to sexuality and specifically to LGBTQ persons. This ruling has important implications for religious organizations. Yeah, conservative legal scholars and religious liberty experts quickly expressed concern for the ruling, which, by the way, was written by Neil Gorsuch, a Trump nominee to the court. Warren, will this impact Christian organizations? And if it does, how would it? Well, we're not 100% sure at this point, Natasha, but currently Title VII, a section of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, allows religious exemptions for faith-based organizations so they can hire with an eye to religious qualifications. Now, some have used this to argue that religious organizations can refuse to hire or fire employees who are LGBTQ if it conflicts with their sincerely held religious beliefs. However, because LGBTQ persons are now included under the sex category of Title VII, it's unclear whether these exemptions are still understood in the same way. In other words, that they would still allow religious organizations to hire or not hire based on LGBTQ status. So would this mean that a Christian ministry that maintains the traditional marriage as a condition for employment, would they be forced to hire LGBTQ persons? Well, we're not quite sure yet, but you can be sure that that this very question is going to be tested soon. On social media, in fact, pro-gay activists are posting links to job openings at Samaritan's Purse, which is a Christian ministry that has a statement of faith that includes a commitment to traditional marriage. It's clear then that pro-LGBTQ advocates will be looking for just the right case, and I should say the right fight, to test this question. Now, I can see how this would be a, a really big problem for Christian ministries, but Warren, if I can play devil's advocate here for a moment, a lot of people, even a lot of Christians who are going to hear this ruling and, and say that it's only fair that all people be treated fairly in the workplace and that they're, they're going to see this ruling as kind of ensuring that. Yeah, well, I think that's a good point. But first of all, um, let me just agree with you that, yes, all people should be treated fairly. But so does the law. The law already says that. The current laws of this country demand that all people be treated equally under the law. If that's not happening, the law already provides opportunity for redress and restoration based on the fact, not that they're black or white or green or gay or straight, but the fact that they're 
people, that they're human beings. So conservative legal scholars are saying that this ruling is either A, unnecessary, or at worst, it creates special rights for LGBTQ people that everyone else doesn't enjoy, which of course is just the opposite of what equal rights mean. Secondly, and this is a real key point, Natasha, there have been lots of attempts to revise the 1964 Civil Rights Act in the legislature to include sex and sexual orientations, and they have been repeatedly voted down by the United States Congress. So at a fundamental level, this ruling is a troubling violation of the Constitution's separation of powers. Congress is supposed to make laws and the court is supposed to interpret laws. In this case, we have a situation in which the law is clear. The legislature has plainly rejected repeated attempts to change that law, and yet the court determined that the law says something other than what the lawmakers themselves have repeatedly said wasn't their intent. So this is a very dangerous precedent, and it will set the stage for many more court battles in the future. Now, Warren, one of the other big stories of this week was the election of Reverend Roland Slade as the first African-American to chair the Southern Baptist Convention's executive committee. Yeah, Roland Slade is a senior pastor at Meridian Baptist Church in El Cajon, California, and this is a significant milestone in the life of the Southern Baptist Convention. The SBC's executive committee is the group that really runs the business side of what has become the nation's largest Protestant denomination. Uh, And he was elected, by the way, unanimously. And I understand that Slade is no newcomer to the SBC leadership. Yeah, that's right. Slade was uh, previously the vice chairman of the executive committee and the chair of the cooperative program committee, which is a big committee. It handles the denomination's central funding mechanism. So in some ways, it was kind of a natural progression for Slade to go from those roles into uh, this chairman's role. Uh, But it doesn't make it any less historic. And Pastor Jared Wellman of Texas, uh, the man who nominated Roland Slate for the job, actually referred to that fact uh, whenever uh, he gave his nomination speech of Slade. He said that, yes, Slade had waited his turn to be in this role, but he added this. He's next in line, you could argue, as the vice chair, but that's not why I'm placing his name into nomination. I'm nominating him not because he's next in line, but because he's first in line when it comes to following Jesus, whether it's serving his family, the needs of the community, the people of his church, or the SBC and its cooperative program. Pastor Roland has always been first in line. Wow, that's a powerful endorsement. And what will Roland Slade actually do in this new role? Well, in his remarks accepting the post, Slade acknowledged that there had been recent declines in membership in the SBC. The Southern Baptist Convention is still, as I said, the largest Protestant denomination in the country, but its membership slipped below 15 million for the first time last year. It's at about 14.5 million today. So Slade said, we all know baptisms are down. We know that churches are closing. And so we've got a job ahead of us, and we've got to pull together, and the message that we're sending today, not only to the SBC, but to the world, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most important thing in the world. 
Before we go to break, Warren, I want you to share with us the results of a widely anticipated annual survey of Giving USA. Yeah, Giving USA does this survey every year, and it truly is the best, most comprehensive look at philanthropy in this country. Uh, this year's survey found that charitable giving in the United States increased 4.2% during 2019. And it topped out at about $450 billion driven by individual and corporate giving and also on the strength of a strong stock market. Wow, $450 billion. That's almost half a trillion dollars. That's a huge amount of money. Yeah, it really is. And that's one of the reasons that I want to highlight uh, this survey, Natasha, because it just it shows just how much the nonprofit sector does for this country. Alexis de Tocqueville, in his classic book, Democracy in America, which he wrote in the 19th century, said that a big reason for America's success, America's greatness, was what we have come to call the institutions of civil society. Churches, nonprofits, associations, volunteer organizations— not only do they do good work themselves, but over the years, they've also become training grounds for leadership. Lots of city council members and county commissioners and even mayors start out as PTA volunteers or maybe the uh, coach on a Little League team. Uh, when an optimist club sponsors a Little League baseball team, that relieves some of the burden of local parks and recreation departments, for example. And the same survey said that the biggest segment of this $450 billion was the religious segment. That's right. Eight out of nine subsectors were tracked in this survey, including science, the arts, and many others. But religion was the largest, about $128 billion, which is nearly a third of the entire giving total. Uh, religious giving was up about 2.3% last year, by the way. Warren, we've got to take a break, but when we return, more news about giving and the story of an Alabama pastor whose church is in trouble because of his actions on social media. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And we'll be back after this short break. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Weekly Podcast. Up next, the story I promised before the break, an Alabama pastor and his church are in trouble because he liked a couple of posts on Twitter. Yeah, Chris Hodges is the pastor's name. He's the pastor of Church of the Highlands in Birmingham. Uh, he quickly hit the like button on a couple of tweets by conservative activist Charlie Kirk. And even though he quickly apologized for doing so, um, not even a post really, but just liking Charlie Kirk's post, the local school board and the local housing authority quickly cut 
ties with the church. Uh, they were running programs uh, in some of those schools that the local government was uh, owned the facilities for. And so those decisions have cost the church two locations where they hold services on Sunday, and it brought an outreach effort to an end that the church was using to help serve the community. It seems like a very heavy price to pay for just liking a couple of posts on social media. Yeah, you're not the only one to say that, Natasha. In fact, the controversy has stirred up a debate nationwide on whether a few clicks in support of any cause should warrant such a response. I think that would depend in part on what the social media posts are. I mean, can you shed a little light on that background? Yeah, uh, I can. Uh, First, Hodges, I should say, uh, leads a multi-site, multi-ethnic church, which is one of the largest and most uh, racially and ethnically diverse congregations in the entire state. It draws about 50,000 people each Sunday. So you would think because of that background that you you might get a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. The pastor, though, came under fire because he liked a couple of tweets posted by a conservative activist, a man named Charlie Kirk, who is... uh, the president of an organization called Turning Point USA. Now, uh, Charlie Kirk is known for being an outspoken supporter of President Trump. He's uh, taken some controversial positions related to politics, to COVID-19, and to race. And I think this is where uh, things go sideways. Uh, One of Charlie Kirk's tweets said that racism is wrong, but the notion of white privilege is a myth. I can see how that might cause some controversy. Well, sure, absolutely. And in retrospect, Chris Hodges agrees. Uh, He issued what I think most people would consider a pretty sincere apology. In fact, I'm going to read a portion of it for you. Uh, As a pastor and more importantly, as a follower of Jesus, I work to consider every action carefully, weigh every word, and be respectful of every person and opinion as Christ taught. I realize that I have hurt people that I love deeply because I liked multiple insensitive social media posts. Each one was a mistake. I own it, and I'm sorry. He also said this, over the last 20 years, our church and I have fought for the disenfranchised, marginalized, and hurting in all races in our community. But this week, I've learned that even with 20 years of loving and serving people, it's still possible to have a blind spot that you just didn't know was there. Well, that sounds like a very sincere apology and not one of those non-apology apologies that usually kind of start off with, uh, if I offended you, I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. that's right. I, I think this really didn't fit into that category of the non-apology apology that you're talking about. It sounded sincere to me. And again, I'm not excusing uh, this pastor's behavior. And I should say in a spirit of full disclosure that I know Charlie Kirk. We've spoken at some of the same conferences. And a few years ago, we were actually on a panel together at the Western Conservative Summit in Denver, Colorado. But there are a lot of things about what Charlie says that I don't agree with. And I think the pastor was wrong to like some of the tweets that he did. Um, But uh, even the pastor now admits that himself, and um, uh, that alone uh, should be a lesson to all of us, I think, that you've got to be super careful about what you do online on social media, especially if you're in church and ministry leadership. Our digital footprints are huge, and they're often very, very difficult to erase. So I think one lesson for this story, Natasha, is let's all be careful, much more careful than most of us are when we're on social media. But I think the bigger question is whether the punishment 
fits the crime. This pastor made a mistake, but he uh, appears to be genuinely repentant. And further, the punishment that he and his church were given by the city of Birmingham uh, actually doesn't punish the church nearly as much as it punishes the people that the church was serving. They were offering free COVID-19 tests in a public housing project, for example. They were doing uh, mentoring services at some of those facilities. So the people who are really being punished are the people that the church was trying to minister to. And I understand that this controversy is sometimes called cancel culture. Can you explain to us what that means? Well, simply put, the cancel culture refers to the practice of withdrawing support uh, for those in the public after they say or do something that is considered offensive. Uh, that's what the Birmingham schools and the housing authority just did. They canceled this pastor because he said something offensive uh, rather than sort of work with that pastor and see if that is the appropriate response. Ed Stetzer, who is the executive director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, he's also one of the deans at Wheaton, said that he disagreed also with what Chris Hodges said, but he added this, perhaps a better way is to take the time to look at the larger picture of a person or an organization. Each of us have said or done things at some point that deserves conversation or perhaps even confrontation. That is undeniable. But does every instance require a public shaming? And in this instance, a cessation of ties that was offered so much good to so many. And Ed Stetzer concludes, we need to find a better way. And speaking of a better way, Moody Bible Institute is taking responsibility for some of its sins in the past. Yeah, the leadership of Moody Bible Institute has apologized for historical photos of students in blackface that were published in Moody yearbooks uh, in the 1970s and 1980s. In a message to students that was posted on the college's website on Monday, Moody President Dr. Mark Job, along with other leaders in the college, signed a letter that said that they wanted to deeply apologize for those photos and the underlying ignorance and the racist foundation blackface represents. They went on to say, we're sorry for the insult and pain this type of intolerance and ignorance has caused in the past as well as in the present. Now, I should add that these were two photos, at least that's as near as I can tell, there were just two. One was in 1974 and one was in 1984 of white students that were uh, in blackface impersonating African Americans. And this has been a problem at other schools as well, hasn't it? Yeah, blackface photos in yearbooks from that era are not uncommon. Uh, with, uh, in fact, a 2019 investigation by USA Today of yearbooks from the period found 200 examples of offensive or racist material from colleges in 25 states. Now, Moody pledged, though, that they weren't going to be a part of this problem anymore. They said that that they were going to examine its history in order to clearly understand our past sins and mistakes. Again, I'm quoting from that letter, uh, and analyze its current ministry to make sure that we are now reflecting God's values when it comes to all racial issues. Now, Warren, up next, we have another school story, but this one's of a different kind. The coronavirus pandemic is taking a toll on religious education, and dozens of private Christian schools have announced that they're going to be closing permanently, and the majority being schools that are run by the Catholic Church. 
Yeah, according to tracking by the Cato Institute, which is a libertarian think tank up in uh, Washington, D.C., 60 private schools have announced by June 12th, which was when they completed their survey, uh, that they would be closing permanently, at least partially due to the COVID-19 economic downturn. And that's going to affect more than 8,000 students. Now, of those 60 schools... Most of them are Roman Catholic schools, that, and they made that announcement sort of in mass. Uh, two schools are Episcopal schools, and only one of those schools is what we might call a sort of a private independent Christian school, an evangelical Christian school. Um, many of the other schools have no religious denomination whatsoever. Do you think that we can really blame these schools closing just on COVID-19? Well, that's a great question. You know, the Catholic school closures uh, did uh, get accelerated fairly dramatically uh, by the current economic fallout, which is, of course, related to COVID-19. But I should add that uh, Catholic schools have been in trouble for years. Uh, Catholic school enrollment peaked in the 1960s and has shrunk uh, 18% just in the past decade, according to the National Catholic Education Association. Enrollment has dropped uh, also due to demographic changes. And this does affect evangelical schools as well. There's just not as many kids in the school-aged cohort as there were 20 or 30 years ago because we are having fewer kids in this country. But the economic downturn does affect parents' ability to pay tuition. There have also been budget shortfalls that have been made worse by the weekly collections as worship services have been canceled. Warren, we're going to take another break, but when we return... More giving news, including the story of a man who is committed to giving his wealth away before he dies. I'm Natasha Smith with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Natasha Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch Podcast. Up next, while the fundraising climate is still pretty awful in the United States, it did improve slightly during May. Yeah, according to data in the new CCS Fundraising Climate Survey, which is a monthly survey that this organization does, declines in gifts still outpace increases by more than three to one. That's pretty bad. Uh, fundraising increases were reported in 23% of organizations, but decreases in 63%. As bad as it was, though, that was a slight improvement over the April numbers. And how does the rest of the year look? 
Well, the sentiment regarding expectations through the end of the year is also improving, according to this uh, survey. While the majority of nonprofits responding, about 72%, still expect a decline, that is a lower proportion expecting a decline than the ones reported in the previous month, 79%. And CCS received responses, I should add, from about 1,000 individuals uh, representing nonprofit organizations. They did their data collection between May 21 and June 1. Warren, we always like to close the program with a good news story. And today, you've got one of a man who has pledged to give all of his money away before he dies. Yeah, a pioneer in the computer publishing industry is challenging fellow Christians to be bold when it comes to practicing generosity. Now, his name is David All, and he's setting an example uh, by strategically donating as much of his wealth as he can over the next decade, in part to encourage other believers to step up their benevolence efforts as well. According to All, I'm so thankful that God has blessed me and enabled me and encouraged me to be generous. Now, I've heard of guys like Bill Gates taking the giving pledge. Is he doing something like that? Well, that's exactly right. In fact, the New Jersey resident pointed to the efforts of Bill Gates, who was the co-founder of Microsoft, of course, and Warren Buffett, the chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, for accelerating some of his all in mentality when it comes to charity. In 2010, Gates and Buffett started the Giving Pledge, which was a commitment by the world's wealthiest individuals to give away half of their fortune before or upon their deaths. Now, these men primarily focus on causes that included poverty alleviation, refugee aid, disaster relief, and the like. Um, signatories to the giving pledge must be billionaires and they must make their commitment publicly so it will both broadly encourage philanthropy and also it will hold them accountable. Now, Dave all though says that he you know affirmed those efforts. In fact, he used to work with Bill Gates. He published a number of computer magazines and Bill Gates was often um, someone that he interviewed over the years. But all as a committed Christian wants to see not just these billionaires that are giving money to sometimes very questionable causes, but Christians giving money specifically to Christian causes. And he's not actually a billionaire, uh, as far as I know. And and I've got to admit that before the story, I had never even heard of him. Can you tell us a little bit more about David All? Yeah, he's perhaps best known uh, for his role as an early promoter of computer literacy and uh, owning some of the key magazines in the computer industry. Uh, he, in 1974, he founded Creative Computing Magazine, which was the very first personal computer magazine. And during the dawn of the personal computer revolution, Creative Computing provided a growing audience of microcomputer users, including educators and hobbyists, with tutorials and application programs. So it wasn't just a magazine, but a whole range of products for the personal computer industry. By 1985, just a decade after he had founded it, Ziff Davis Publishing acquired Creative Computing, and that was what made David All originally a wealthy man. But he managed to stay on in his capacity as the editor and founder and edited Creative Computing Magazine for many years after that. He's also written more than 20 books, more than a thousand and articles, and he's kind of just this geeky guy, Natasha. He's pinned more than 300 Bible studies that are online. Uh, he wrote a book called Basic 
computer games, and by basic, I mean the basic software coding language, and it sold a million copies in one year. So kind of an eclectic entrepreneurial genius. Yeah, that's right. And he's um, also been into all kinds of Christian ministries and philanthropy philanthropy over the years as well. Uh, His philosophy is that you don't have to do some huge global project. His philosophy is do something, get involved. And that sounds like good advice. Did he have any other advice for those of us who are not billionaires? <laughs> well, yeah, as a matter of fact, he was emphatic about saying that everyone should start now, even if it's small and even if you don't have much. He said Christian believers should cast their gaze upon what he calls kingdom projects. And he also said this about himself. I waited too long. Don't wait until you have some extra in the bank or until the time is right. Now is the right time. Uh, You know, there's an old saying that the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago, and the second best time to plant a tree is today. And that's David All's philosophy. He said he wished that he had started planting more trees, so to speak, earlier in life, because seeing the fruit of those trees, once they've grown up, has become such a blessing to him now. Wow, that's such a great story. Thanks for sharing. Now, Warren, we've come to the end of our time today. Do you have any final words? Well, I'd like to mention that this story of David All is the first in a series of stories about generous living that we've started at the Ministry Watch website. Christina Darnell is going to be contributing these stories, and we hope to post one just about every week, most weeks anyway. I think you'll be inspired and encouraged by these stories. And I'd also like to remind everyone of Bobby Ross's weekend plug-in column on our website every Saturday. As I mentioned last week, we've been sort of a five-day-a-week content provider up until now, and we're excited that we're going to be able to post Bobby's column every Saturday. It's a digest of news and links to stories of what's going on in the area of religion and ethics. Now, Bobby Ross is a seasoned journalist, and I'm really glad that we're going to be having his byline on a regular basis on the Ministry Watch website. Yes, and in fact, if you would like to read any more about the stories that we discussed on today's program, just go to ministrywatch.com and you'll find them right on the front page. If you'd like to dig into the Ministry Watch archives of hundreds of articles and other great resources, use the search engine, which is also on the front page, to find what you're looking for. Yeah, also, uh, before we go, Natasha, I want to mention that we're approaching our June 30th fiscal year end, and I want to thank those of you who have made a gift to Ministry Watch during the past year. Uh, Your gift is an encouragement to us personally, and it also allows us to continue our vital work to bring transparency, accountability, and renewed credibility to the Christian ministry marketplace. If you'd like to support our work, you can just go to ministrywatch.com and hit the donate button at the top of the page. And finally, I'd like to say to our new listeners, welcome. Uh, I hope you'll join us each and every week, and I hope you'll also tell a friend. And don't forget to rate us using your podcast app. It's absolutely free. doesn't take but a few seconds to rate us, and it really does help us out a lot. The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DuBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Christina Darnell, Adele Banks, Ann Stike, and Warren Smith. Thanks to our friends at the Nonprofit Times for contributing material to this week's program. I'm Natasha Smith in Colorado Springs. And I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And you've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. May God bless you.